Hello. Hello. And welcome. Yeah. Did you uh <laughs> did you see the video that um Dicekay posted, Chandler? Uh no, I haven't seen it yet. He he posted a video about our podcast. Well, the way was, he usually does, like yeah. he'll say, I was a guest on blank. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's ten minutes long, and I haven't seen it, but I'm like, what could you be talking about for ten <laughs> minutes? You're literally just telling people watch our podcast. Oh, that's nice. That's he nice. finds plenty of he stuff very to talk nice. about. He really yeah. does, and that's why I love him. All right, so see, here's my question, actually, because we have two Chandlers here now. So we do. How? How? I can't just say Chandler. Now. <laughs> so, um, I I could just say Chandler, and we hope that the correct one responds if there is a correct one you can call chandler chandler and you can call me the podcast guest host formerly known as chandler i call you chavez that's true that works that's a little because technically my name is ryan and i go by my last name so we could just do like last oh my god i didn't even know that no just do last name plot twist except for me don't do my last no you can go fight chandler that's fine are you aware of the rich history of the name Chandler? Yes, we're we're a proud uh, candlestick maker. <laughs> Is that what you heard? I heard a grocer to to uh, sailors. It's it's another what? one. Yeah, there's two oh. different ones. I believe that the candle maker is more uh, related to the French chandelier. Oh, okay. Uh, and does that have any relation to the word chandelier? It has all of the relations to chandelier. Okay. That's interesting. So, is it a French name? What a it originated what? as a, a French sort of Norman name, uh, as the candlestick maker and the person who would go about and stock the candles in a in a mansion or a wow. castle. Um, it's interesting how so many names are just from like people's occupations mm. from years ago, especially last names. Right, last names they're all over the place, but first names still there's quite a few. It was literally like just your name is David Uber driver. <laughs> i feel like if your name isn't name in like the Kid bible King. <laughs> if your name doesn't come from the bible then it's probably an occupation of some kind yeah pretty much that's just so terribly lazy but then when you think <laughs> about the names that like i don't know how can you just come up with a name it's got to sound like sonically pleasant it's got to have a right amount of syllables that's what I, I whenever guess, i read like f- fiction literature fantasy literature and names don't sound completely weird I'm always oh, yeah. like, how, how, here's another question. Like with Star Wars, the name Anakin, think about it. It's so, so weird, but it does, it's, it, 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 yeah. it's normal now. I don't get it. It's a normal yeah. name. Or like the Lord of the Rings names. Yeah. Aragorn. Frodo. Fucking means Frodo. Frodo still sounds weird. If I'm being completely honest, but then you have someone named Sam, which, you know, well, it gets this short for Sam wise, which is horrible. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Interesting names. My my last name Kaufman. It means I think merchant in German, or at least from that. Good Lord, are all of our names just based off of some sort of street trade? Oh well, it's my first name. Chavez. So, oh yeah, I don't know what Chavez means. I'm not going to bother to ask. Ryan means I'm so vaguely Mexican. A worker of Chav. Oh okay, shit. Yeah. This this has absolutely nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about. But I'm enjoying it. (laughs) <laughs> First, we must have our guest introduce herself. Yeah, we have a, we have a guest this week. On we have a guest. Yes, split that's, take podcast. Yes. Another one. Could you could you tell? <laughs> There's just two. Chandler has just split <laughs> into two personalities. Schizophrenia has taken a physical uh, yeah. form. Uh, Chandler watched Persona, and now he's taking it far too seriously. <laughs> oh God, I've ne- you know I've never seen a Tarkovsky, not even the one that Jacob gave me uh, for my birthday last you, year. You've made a huge mistake right there, Chandler. <laughs> It's Bergman. Tarkovsky? Wait, what? Persona Persona is is Bergman? Nobody's going to take this podcast seriously anymore. Oh, you know what? No, I get Persona mixed up with Stalker. How? I don't know. (laughs) Probably because he hasn't seen him. (laughs) Oh, fuck. I've outed myself as a faux cinephile. Damn. (laughs) It's true. All right. uh, Guest Chandler. Uh, This is the first time I'm really meeting you, so I'm very curious. I don't think we've ever talked in real life either. No. Maybe Actually once. Not. I don't remember. I've listened to your voice. If that isn't weird, that's very. So weird. maybe uh, real life Chandler. Do you want to? <laughs> well, maybe he's ex- real too. Okay. Well, <laughs> Mr. Chavez, do you want to explain maybe Thank how this, you. how we got him on the podcast? And well, then- there's a wonderful little Discord called I don't know what it's called. It's the Criterion Discord. 
which is a Discord made by members of the uh, Criterion subreddit. It's literally just called the Criterion Discord. And I, I spend a good amount of time in this Discord because I got a lot of free time at work. And the people there are lovely. And Chandler's arguably the loveliest person on the Cham- uh, Criterion Discord. Wow. So that's how I know. Oh, wow. And I'm kind of a shitty person. <laughs> <laughs> well, your online persona is just, it's bulletproof. Oh, there you go. But the most important aspect of Chandler's character is, uh, why don't you tell us all what your favorite band is, Chandler? Oh, it's got to be Weezer. Oh, there it is. The smoking gun. By the way, I really hate Weezer. <laughs> we fan of Weezer is currently under-researched as a mental illness, but it is. I, I it is a horribly contradictory I have state a of horrible mind. problem. I've been looking up like rare B-sides, like demo tapes. Oh no. Oh shit that nobody's ever heard before. Now there there are two kinds of Weezer fans, the ones that, you know, they kind of jam with the new stuff, get down with the old as well and the and then the others who are hardcore fans of the first two albums and think everything else is shit. Uh-huh. But then there's a rare third type who will who likes everything and hates everything and his secret um his secret favorite album is Maladroit. Yeah. And I feel like that's the kind of Weezer fan you are. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um I mean I would say Pinkerton is my favorite one, but I feel like same. Liking Pinkerton is sort of just it's the base. It's a lose-lose scenario. You're either a hipster for liking that one over the other ones mm. or like you're you're like a, a sad boy virgin for liking those over the other ones. Mm. But I just legitimately like that one the most. Oh, totally. Can I make a confession? I don't think I've ever heard a single Weezer song. Yes, you have. That's impossible. I have not. No, no like, just, it's you're physically lying. impossible. Everybody's heard a Weezer song. Just uh, Beverly Hills, you've once. heard. Maybe once. Maybe one. Unless you were kept in the in a cupboard I was... from the year 2004 to 2010, you heard Beverly Hills somewhere. Oh, yeah. Chandler, to. how... I thought I already explained my, my upbringing as a cupboard child. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. Honestly, Jacob, if I had to assume one of my friends was a cupboard child, you would be the first on the list. Well, it's partially true. I didn't have cable until I was 12 years old. So I didn't like Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, all that stuff. I didn't get there's no Weezer channel. (laughs) Okay, this is a completely separate. I'm just explaining how I was a bit more cut off than your usual person. He didn't have the Weezer channel growing up. It's sad. The, The Weezer network. (laughs) <laughs> honestly they have a cruise line a tv channel is not that far Probably. off oh it's true and and tell us what you do jacob or did before the world uh burned what me no did i say jacob you said chandler? yeah you said <laughs> okay i meant chandler okay i know what you do jacob i know what you do um so how about just a general introduction as well yes that's what we're doing Weezer is part of it well you asked what he he did (laughs) my my name is um chandler i'm a a creative person i like to drink coffee oh wonderful and i'm already relating 100 percent. before this bullshit went down i did have an actual job i worked at a movie theater but otherwise, I'm on the internet. I have a radio show called We Are All Rocks, or W-A-A-R. Mm-hmm. I also work with some friends to uh, locally produce some live music shows. And uh, maybe we'll be making some movies soon, too. Oh, very nice. Very cool. fun. What did you do at the movie theater? I was the manager. So I got to um, take slightly less paid individuals and have them go clean up the vomit for me that's the real perks of the job yeah but i i also had fun i got to do like the projection rooms and the uh setting stuff up which is actually really cool oh do they do uh do you have any um like screening rooms that show things on film no no that really pisses me off because i've never seen anything in film you need to get down here to Tucson, Chandler. Well, I mean, I have, because, I mean, if you went to, like, a movie theater, like, pre-2010, it's actually mm-hmm. pretty likely that you saw something on film. That's that's probably true, actually. And it was really surprising, too, like, finding out how late 
some releases were like released on film, like uh, Monsters Incorporated. I um I went to go see that at the movie theater where I worked at where I work at, uh, when I was a kid, and I found out that that was like almost all on film. Oh wow! Oh well, I definitely saw Monsters Incorporated in the theater, so yeah. I likely saw it. It's on really film. interesting. Monsters um, Incorporated. That was so long ago. Still, it really was. Yeah. Do you, Do you guys remember the first movie you saw in a theater? Nope. My Mine was Monsters mm. Incorporated. <clears throat> That's why I remember <laughs> it. <laughs> oh. I don't even remember theaters, so it's very vague. But I do remember seeing the first Pirates of the Caribbean in theaters. Oh, really? Cool. So that had to have been on film. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, wait. This is also just uh, my personal uh attempt at making every podcast vaguely Pirates of the Related. <laughs> uh, Pirates of the Caribbean related. Uh, we're a few what is this? The third episode running we've mentioned? No, I don't think we even discussed it last week. If I'm no, we probably, honest. We probably did. I didn't want to disturb Daisuke with Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> you know, I think the earliest movie I can remember going to see was Charlotte's Web in 2006. What? Don't ask oh me why. Oh my God, they made a live action version of that, didn't they? They did, yeah. I completely forgot mm. about that. I went with some, some family friends invited me along. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I think that's the only reason why I remember it is it was any it was something. What did the spider look like? Was it ugly as hell? Probably. That, I'm sorry, that I'm mid two thousands CGI, probably. Two thousand six film. What the hell? Ew, they got the pig from Babe in this? Hey. <laughs> uh, don't say anything negative about Babe. That's I've never a, seen Babe, but I yeah, trust George Miller. You should. Nope, but it just looks like a spider. Ugh. We, we should watch Babe at some point. I, I'd have... Oh, God, it does look like a spider. But with, like, cute eyes. That's disgusting. Run away. That was your introduction to cinema. <laughs> this is the foundation of your entire <laughs> cinematic career. Jacob would not be here today if it weren't for Charlotte's Web 2006. You know, the only reason why I don't like Taxi Driver is because it's not more like Charlotte's Web. <laughs> so, not enough pigs. Yeah. It really does look like I can't really get into the character. Uh yeah. Well, you know. Mm. Gotta gotta see ourselves in a character. Yeah. I only see pigs and spiders. Oh god. The world is divided into the two. (laughs) So so Chandler, you're Yes. That uh other Chandler. (laughs) You have to yes, I'm Mr. Chavez. I apologize. Your general uh I don't know, philosophy about movies or your what your experience with them? Uh, I don't know. Sure. Um, so I actually didn't really get into movies until like a year or two ago. Before then, I actually sort of hated movies. <laughs> um, I was big into video games. And so I was kind of mad that like I couldn't play the movies. <laughs> uh, of course, then I started playing Hideo Kojima games. And then my that, yes. my fantasy finally yes. became true. Um, yes, Hideo Kojima is essentially. I don't want. I feel like the the comparison of the, the David Lynch of video games is a little, not necessarily true, but he does occupy that same similar niche. Yeah. So a few years ago, I just sort of got into it, um, mostly thanks to Every Frame of Painting uh, uh, yes. and other Great sort channel. of online video stuff, which sort of opened my eyes to the art and just sort of me becoming less of a closed-minded uh individual and finding out about all this cool cinema he's gone hard with it too have yeah. you yes his letterbox is very out there yes i am um, i'm watching Ooh. a movie every day of 2020 yeah so you have a letterbox i should i should follow this immediately oh thank you i know i haven't done that before Add i'm assuming you're cloud. chandler you're you're friends with chandler on letterbox yes, yes we are chandler knows chandler good Yes, this is I can I can find you through actually. that connection. Probably not. Um, the first movie I ever really watched that was art house that I was like, oh, this is awesome, was a uh, Dead Man. I remember my oh, cousin wow. had Jim Jarmusch, yeah, yeah. Uh, my cousin had this like hipster to the nth degree boyfriend, mm. and I was over their house. It was like Thanksgiving, maybe. And <laughs> he comes over to me and he's like, hey, 
Have you ever seen Dead Man? <laughs> I, like, I love that that's the first movie he asked. Yeah, I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. He's like, you like Neil Young, right? I was like, yeah, I love Neil Young. It's like, yo. And then he, he uh, proceeded to tell me the whole story about Dead Man. And then we went upstairs and watched it. So he told you the synopsis of Dead Man before making you watch it? Uh, no, Man? just the production about how Neil oh, Young okay, did gotcha. the scoring, mm-hmm. which is actually very impressive. Um, if you don't know. How do you feel about that film? Just quick side note. Oh, Dead Man, I love it. Yeah, it's really a great example of slow cinema. And like, it rides the line of being a boring movie. I feel like all of his movies do, though. Exactly, but Jim does. It. I love Jim his does movies, it great. But yeah. That's the thing is like yeah. he, he one wrong step and he's falling off the, the tightrope. Yeah, uh, but he he holds it together, especially Dead Man, uh, one of Johnny Depp's best performances. Um, yeah, it was right around was that ninety six ninety five. 95 okay hmm. it's close yeah it's uh, right around edward too Gary i should probably dead man's one of those movies where i need to give it another shot because i'll be honest i didn't really care for it when i watched it hmm. and yeah. that's the thing i, I don't know, J- know. jarmush i think he hasn't struck gold with me yet i just need to watch more maybe um, oh you gotta do mystery train i probably should no. the, the only other jarmush i've seen so far is uh the dead don't die Oh God, <laughs> that one. That, it, as, that as was, someone who very much enjoys Jim Jarmusch's movies, that is the only one I'm not looking forward to because that looks not great. Well, it was fun, like till this seeing Tilda Swinton and all that. The actors were having fun, but it's just so boring, and I wasn't sure what the point was. Yeah, and I think in comparison, if I went to De- back to Dead Man, I think I would like Dead Man a lot more because I do the, recognize the artistry in that film. Yeah, that's, that's the only. That's one of the few I haven't seen yet. Because I literally, I, I saw the first Jarmusch movie I've ever seen on uh, like January, I think. And since then, I've seen everything except for Dead Man, The Dead Don't Die, and uh, Broken Flowers. Hmm. Yeah, I'm excited, though. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, but anyways, continue. I think I derailed your introduction. So, so you like Jarmusch um, and slow movies? Sorry, what was that? You like Jarmusch <laughs> and slow movies? Um, it was a brighter summer day as well. Yeah, I love brighter summer I see. day. So good. Your favorite films on Litterboxer. You have three Ozus and <laughs> brighter yeah. summer day. Uh, so that's because I'm I'm doing like the month's top four just because I'm I'm watching mm. so many films. Oh, that's interesting. So these are the top okay. four of last month. Um, oh. And over March and April, I watched the entirety of Ozu's uh, surviving filmography in uh in oh. order and wow. um that's a feat i feel like they, they run together after a while they really do and it's and in a good way like he's very much like um like um strange thing to say but frank zappa in that there's a lot of that's just because it's that's my frame of reference because there's a lot mm-hmm. of um there's like a, conti- a continuity of shots and actions and whatnot um interesting comparison it's accurate yeah but interesting um but if i had to recommend uh watch his 1959 output because he made two of the best films that year uh good Damn. morning and floating weeds so if you need oh, something i love to watch. floating weeds oh, i think yeah. it's it's one of the, his more underappreciated ones totally at least and then um watch the one that uh, he made first a story of floating weeds, which is uh, mm-hmm. a, a silent. Which the the DVD because Criterion hasn't released either on Blu-ray. No, and the DVD it, they come together on the DVD, mm-hmm. and I think that's been out of print for quite a while now. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Oh, they, it's interesting. They really on Criterion they really tout Ozu as like a director that they have, mm-hmm. but. I feel like their output for him actually is a little lackluster. Kind of the same for Orson Welles. Mm. Well, that's not true. They, they have a movies. decent amount. They have, no, they have at least four movies by Orson. No, I'm saying two movies that I know that they don't have. Oh, okay. But Ozu, I would really love a, an upgrade to that Floating Weeds totally. uh, oh, collection. Great. Amongst other stuff that they have. Because yeah. they have the huge, at least two Eclipse sets filled with ozu in them 
Yeah, la the uh, late Ozu box set is really good if you need a an eclipse to buy. All of the films in the in that are like fantastic, and they're totally looked over basically because they aren't late spring or Tokyo Twilight. Yeah, I I haven't really. I haven't bought any Eclipse Sorry, sets yet, but I've been looking at the the late Ozu one, and I think one of the uh, like the post war Kurosawa one. One of those will be the first one, first Eclipse sets I buy. Yeah, Eclipse is cool. I don't have no bonus else. features, which you know. Yeah, what? it's more about just publishing the movie. But... Yeah, it's it's mm. more so about having just the ability to have these sort of. That's fair. and honestly, a lot of them aren't big enough to really deserve. A, a full release with commentaries and supplements and whatnot like um this one i think his uh his early crime dramas or whatever it's called like early gangster films uh they're good and they're awesome to have but like they aren't notable enough i think to really mm. you know compare to something like uh tokyo story or or what I can't well, you, you could always restore them and and put them together in a blu-ray box set and totally you know might be they might be more worthwhile as a like a collection themselves. yeah i mean they did a they're doing the varda box set which shows that um you know they're interested in, in keeping up that bergman style of uh mm -hmm. of release the bergman cinema so yeah i'm here um, for it i want more of those big director boxes yeah those are great I, I want more of those but i know i i don't think i'd ever buy one just because it's really they're really expensive and maybe it's just because i haven't had a a filmmaker that i really want all their movies mm. either I'm way i'm getting the john cassavetes five movies box set but that's only five movies but in any case the bergman cinema is at least a good deal like it yeah, is it's true it's one thick release i feel like bergman is also just incapable of making a bad movie maybe not a great movie but a, not a every good movie. director has a bad, bad movie. movie in them yeah uh well yeah. it's it's true <laughs> i'm trying to think of i don't think tarantino has any bad movies hateful eight borders on bad well uh, yeah every every good director has some meh paul thomas them, anderson does not least. have a bad movie that's not true you haven't seen inherent vice i think you'd hate inherent vice probably would throw it away i don't want this <laughs> so uh anything else about, about you you want to introduce before you we know move what on to... uh no i mean i'm i'm not all that interesting uh i just rather talk about pretty interesting so far that we are going on here i think that'd be pretty cool it is a hell of a pairing i like this one so we're gonna start with uh cure which i believe chandler uh, recommended so how about you uh, introduce the film oh me chandler you chandler Fuck. yeah did, not, did, I'm, not I'm not Mr. used to Chavez. i'm not used to it yet. <laughs> i'm not used to this uh cure is a 1997 uh japanese film by the great kiyoshi kurosawa the other uh kurosawa director from japan and it is uh technically a thriller but it's also called a horror film to much debate i think it's a fantastic horror film horror is just a it's a very it's very broad yeah. genre yeah yeah i think it, when someone like, says horror i think of something very different though that's Usually, true yeah well horror, and that's not that's more of a me thing than it is yeah part it's, of the well, genre. it's kind of like a horror a horror movie is made with the intent to scare but I mean, you could technically call movies that have funny moments in them comedies. Mm. You know, it's 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 definitely horror adjacent. I'll agree with that. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want do you want me to give like a little plot synopsis? Sure. Sure. Uh, so I have the names here because I always forget character names. Uh, so it's basically the story of a detective, just sort of a regular you know, obviously been in the game for a long time, detective named Takabe. And he gets on the case of um, a string of murders, which are all, you know, related in that um, the victims have a large X carved into their neck. And as it goes on, he finds the uh, the perpetrator who is this young man who seems to suffer from very acute amnesia 
Um, but we come to find out that he has been using mesmerism in order to hypnotize his victims, and then they go on to uh, generally do some some pretty bad stuff to uh, victims. And as it goes on, I think it's one of a, a really great example of finding ways to stick uh, surrealist images into a, a relatively normal film and it just sort of breaks down over time mm-hmm. until uh we get to a very uneasy ending which doesn't really end the film at all it basically just i was says, surprised when the ending happened yeah I, 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 I wasn't it. keeping track of the time i thought <laughs> oh totally that's it yeah, yeah. Um, really because it feels like way. the ending to me it is yeah. an ending but it, and, it, and, it, and it leads up to that yeah but Oh, the yeah. ending itself, like the literal ending, the last scene of the film yes. is a bit. Yes. Um, well, after after that, you know, climactic violence scene, you 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 get a sense that it's ending when your oh, sure. antagonist is gone. Yeah. Yeah. You have to but wrap it up. I, I just yeah. I the thing is though, I was I was into the movie just in general. I thought, okay, this is pretty good. It wasn't until that final scene where I was like, what? And it immediately made me want to go back and watch it again. The final, final. Scene. When did you watch it? Did you watch it today? I, I, I'm getting into this, too, because this is, I think, another huge detriment I made for myself. I watched the first hour and a half last night before Uh-oh. bed. <laughs> a 30 minutes. Uh, I got until I watched until they captured the hypnotist. And then I thought, OK, I'm really tired. I don't want to watch this when I'm tired because I won't be paying attention. I'll wait. So I then I go to sleep, go to work, come back. I decided to watch the last 30 minutes before this podcast. But instead of watching it on my TV, because I have a decent TV setup, you know, good, high quality TV with a sound bar. I watched mm. it on my laptop with headphones uh. and I was taking note of how great the sound design was. But you really don't know how great it is until you have the headphones on. And I kind of feel like I robbed myself of the mm. full experience watching this without headphones. But yeah, then I or- watched the last 30 minutes like an hour ago. Or if you're like me and you have a, a nice pair of uh, speakers with some good bass to them. Yeah. Oh, mine do too, one. but I was watching them at 12 at night. And I didn't want to wake anyone else up, so <laughs> I kept it relatively quiet. Yeah. I don't have to worry um, about anyone else in this house. So oh, there you uh, go. Mine were, yeah. were turned up pretty loudly. So it's a, it's a tough one. It's, it's very, uh, it's very quiet, very subtle. With the it's sound quiet, design. but it is just overwhelming and yes. atmospheric yeah. sound. It was so I haven't seen anything by uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa yet. This is uh, most of the time I'm I'm pretty focused in on just classical uh, Japanese cinema. So I don't have too much experience with uh, J horror or anything mm-hmm. from the nineties. Uh-huh. And the, so one, I'm I'm very thankful that you recommended this film and just gave me an excuse to kind of open the door to this era of uh, Japanese filmmaking. And my God, this was this. This is one of my favorite things that I've watched in a while. That's in a awesome. long time. Okay. Even on this you, you know what? It wasn't until the last 20 minutes where, I, you know, when, whenever we're watching movies for this podcast, I think to myself, I wonder if Jacob likes it. It wasn't until like, the last like scene where I thought, okay, this is like a Japanese burning and I'm pretty sure Jacob would like it. <laughs> It there's a, there's a multitude a of, of reasons of why I like this film, and I'll get into it because I think it's it's potentially referencing something that I find interesting. But I'll wait until later to talk about that. But it was I, I have never been I have a I have an issue when watching a film film sometimes that I will spoil them for myself. Then mm. I just get my brain gets too far ahead, and I'm like, eh, I need to go look at the Wikipedia page to calm down. And I just start reading the plot summary. And oh, no. yeah. this is one of the first times in a long time where I was overwhelmed by tension and just being glued to my seat that I I felt betrayed that I even would start to reach for my phone to look at the Wikipedia page. So I just <laughs> left it. This is the first time in a while that I've like watched something that was so um, riveting and not spoiled it for myself. And I, it was just a very great experience. I think the, the ending I'm not, I'm not sure about yet. I think that was the weaker part for me that last couple minutes, a few minutes. But other than that, it just, the, the entire film, 
the premise, everything, the way it was structured and information was doled out to the audience slowly but surely, mm-hmm. masterful. And it, it, you know, the visual style wasn't like super polished and clean. We're not talking Kubrick levels of cinematography here. It's kind of dirty and grungy, but it was mm, very natural. It still grabbed it's very, Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Very based on human movement. Well, that yeah, that's a lot of the the blocking as well. It's it's they do a similar thing to like Kurosawa or Bong Joon Ho, where it's well early Bong. This 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 remind me in a lot of ways of Memories of Murder, not only from like the the like overpoweringly dark aesthetic, but just the way that it's sort of it's just a bunch of wide long takes where pe- we just sort of follow people, you know, as they sort of move around in the frame. Um, but I think the the biggest part of this that just blew me away was the sound design i don't know if you knew this chandler but bong is a huge fan of this film really that was one okay. thing I read. Yeah. oh yes that's, that's right interesting. I read that. yeah it's one of his favorites yeah because this this is what 96 98 97 oh you, you okay. missed it this is the second time i've done it okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, but this also kind of reminded me uh, well no go ahead chandler i'll get back to this okay uh i think that what's really great about this is in its visuals what i love is how literal it is and and you know in the best way it tells you everything visually and you can trust that i mm. think uh what taught what showed me that you know uh everything is part of the story can we do spoilers yeah we do spoilers yeah. Yeah. my favorite scene the first one that really got me is i think it's the second murder which is the cop well the cop kills the other cop yes yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just knew it right away. I it was basically me testing the film. Uh, it's it's during the the scene where they murder where he murders the younger cop. He walks out and he walks close to a sign, which says like "end gun violence." And I was like, "This dude is going to shoot the other cop." And <laughs> lo and behold, he goes and shoots him. Like this is the best movie ever. <laughs> every every part of it and basically tells you what's going on. And I think that's great. Like how a director can build that sort of visual trust for the audience. Yeah. It's, it's with that murder in particular with the policeman, it's each subsequent murder is cluing you in more Mm. and more about what is happening. And that's what I love about the film so much that you are just as much of the detective as the detective in the film is. And you probably figure it out before the detective does. And when the detective is the, is chasing um, the guy escapes from the, the hospital Mm -hmm. and they get, they're in this kind of kitchen rundown kitchen area, the door shuts. And that was just part of me. Like the first half of the film is, was kind of dominated by this feeling of, I'm not sure I want the detective to find this guy like what's going to happen <laughs> yeah because is the detective going to be uh coerced into to killing like what how far does this go and then the second half of the film kind of becomes more about like how do you you solve the problem of this killer how do you get over like, it yeah because there's sort of a fear because you're worried you see that this works on everybody the hypnotist is his uh his method and you're scared for the moment where the hypnotist uses this on uh the doctor on Takabe. Oh yeah. Okay. Like when will he use it? What will happen? Cause like it, it, it would almost just feel so strange for the protagonist to suddenly all of a sudden just become another victim. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously well, that... this is sort of the, um, the main theme is like, how do you overcome these sort of influences in modern life? Well, yeah, that that's the thing I like most about this is whenever you have this sort of lead type character who is kind of tortured by his either his past or his surroundings these little dips into surrealism kind of feel like cheesy kind of like uh, you know it could be something like a nightmare or some sort of weird daytime hallucination or a daydream but i think the hypnotism aspect of this really makes you question the origin of what you're seeing like when he sees his wife hung you know, hanging mm-hmm. herself, that weird vision. It's hard to tell whether or not that's an that's the work of the hypnotist or if that's just sort of what he goes on inside of his brain. Um, but just God, there's, there's so, so much, much left to, to like 
left up to your interpretation in the film. I know, and that's that's why I like it so much because it reminds me of something like Blue Velvet, where you know the more out there David Lynch movies have very thin plots where they can just sort of hang these crazy surreal experiences on. But Blue Velvet is something that works really well as a literal straightforward story that also has an insane amount of like metaphor to dig through. And this one, like it's the story is pretty cut and dry as to what happens, but there's so much left like in between the scenes that you kind of just have to figure out for yourself. That's why I really like the ending. I don't know what's going on in the ending. (laughs) Interesting. So my, I figured out the ending, not not the not the kind of twist ending. It's not really a twist ending, but it's a yeah. it reframes. It's a gotcha ending, anticlimax yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. But when when the detective he kills the uh, the guy, I figured that out like long before. Like that that was the solution to to how this problem gets gets fixed. Yeah, that that was. I definitely didn't feel that suspense because I kind of knew just the way that they were framing the hypnotist walking into the room that I kind of felt like, because, you know, the detective is, it's a wide shot where the detective is kind of obscured in the background. So I kind of naturally felt that he was just going to shoot him. Right. He can only Um, come into action, sort of come up into the frame. Yeah. Hmm. So I suppose the, the influence I was talking about earlier was I've talked about this on the podcast before uh, Agatha Christie and her uh, (laughs) Perot novels. She, uh, Jacob's a big fan. I see. Yeah, apparently, Dicegate is too. But uh, <laughs> I, but um, the last novel, Curtain, is uh, one of the great great mystery novels that, that Agatha Christie wrote. And in that novel, someone is convincing other people to murder, and the solution in that is that the detective is the only one. Like it could never be solved in a court case so that the detective is the only one that can end it by killing the murderer. So that's kind of like, I I caught on to that near the end of like, Oh, this kind of feels like that kind of psychological killing. And Mm -hmm. I felt like, Oh, it probably the detective is going to, going to take care of business himself. Also the detective's very, he he was getting very like violent outbursts. Mm -hmm. And so I could, it was easy to make that, that leap from there. Once I made those connections. what's it's really cool is that like he's definitely not a character above violence above like doing bad things you know he's he's not like a bad person but it's shown that he's just sort of gets upset about these things just like anybody else would and um he's a smart detective but not necessarily a good cop yeah yeah that's another parallel to memories of murder that i find interesting and, you know, they do a pretty good job at the beginning of just showing just how much this guy goes through. Like the first like 20 minutes of this movie is just him kind of relaxing. And then another cop <laughs> goes, hey, another guy got murdered. And you could just you kind of see it in his face every time. where He's like, Ugh, OK, yeah, another yeah. One. He's got to put up a lot, you know, first, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from his job and at home, he has to deal with his wife, who's uh, unfortunately going through some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. mental breakdown. Yeah, some sort of mental disorder, and um, you know he's just one of those people who don't get catch a break, and so now you now you give him this <laughs> this man who can control people's minds, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> he's just like fuck this. <laughs> it is interesting how the his, the hypnotism on him doesn't really work, and yeah. I think you could have a number of theories on why that works. But mm-hmm. part of it, I felt, was kind of a lot of people hold, they kind of convince themselves that their life is better than it is. That the policeman mm. said that he he had always hated the, the other guy that he worked with, but mm-hmm. you would never have guessed that from like their interaction. And if we take that as true, it's just like one of these things that we kind of internalize in our everyday yeah. life and and that... The detective very much felt like someone who wasn't like that, that very much was just defeated already and didn't make any illusions about that to himself, that there wasn't anything for the guy to to like Mm -hmm. uncover with his hypnotism. Yeah, it's like the hypnotist isn't convincing these people to do things. He's convincing people to act on their darkest urges, just sort of removing that that barrier of of will. Um, But yeah, I okay. Getting back to the horror argument. 
I can oh, see sure. how people would not think this is horror, but I just not a lot of stuff makes me cringe, which we'll get to when we get into Sallow. But when that girl was peeling off his face, yo, or yeah, just below <laughs> the face was... when he cut the X, I was just ah. That was very surprising. There's very little it's... gore in this film, but right, it's, it's yeah, effective. it just comes out of nowhere. Like you definitely see like a lot of blood and yeah, you know, people getting messed up. But then, <laughs> yeah, just all of a sudden, it's like, let's take his face off. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not like a it's not like a money shot or anything. It's not super gory. It's just it's kind of removed. Oh, totally. and it doesn't last for that long, which makes mm-hmm. it worse because it's almost like the person didn't plan on doing that. The person cut the axe and was like, I wonder what would happen if I did this. <laughs> it's so much worse. Um, but there uh, one other thing. Um, oh, God. OK, th- the symbolism. Obviously, X is it X as a symbol for death can be dated all the way back to the 30s with a Scarface movie. I just here's one thing I want to know at the end. When the waitress picks up the knife, do you think there's any significance to the fact that the sort of straps on the back of her apron made an X on her back? Ooh, interesting. That, yeah, that was the first probably thing not I significance, saw. but probably something that was picked out deliberately just to emphasize yeah. Yeah. that. Well, I I don't necessarily um, subscribe to the belief that there are no accidents in filmmaking. I think sometimes people do stumble upon dumb luck, but this guy seems like the kind of guy who would not miss something like that. Hmm. Um, But I just I just want to talk about the ending scene, because what do you guys think happens in the ending? Jacob, you said you had it all figured out, but I just I no, I don't know. I had it figured out up until the point where the cop kills Mm, oh okay the suspect well i'm talking about the ending scene in particular the diner right right yeah um you know in a way when the detective kills the mesmerist he didn't stop mesmerization or the fact that people will act on these wills when Mm -hmm. when acted upon with mesmerization uh because as we know this has been going on since the 19th century yeah. And there's the phonograph, which describes, you know, the act of it and whatnot. And he finds it at this place. So it's something that obviously just keeps going. It just happens that the mesmerist there was a contemporary example who was acting in his area. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just because you kill an actor doesn't mean that it stops the greater idea of what it is. Yeah. But I, so do you think that she's about to commit some sort of violent act in the end? Uh, that is the insinuation, at least. I mean, do or do not, I guess it doesn't really matter. It just shows that, you know, it continues. It's it's pretty yeah. obvious, though. Or well, who knows? Know, it was... maybe, maybe she does. One thing I did like about the ending was I went back and I watched it a few times and mm-hmm we obviously we see that scene or that location before earlier in the film and Mm -hmm. the the detective didn't finish his food in that when he was there before Mm -hmm. and then when we visit there again at the end of the film he finishes his entire plate of food everything he's very confident there Mm -hmm. and he lights up a cigarette with a lighter Mm -hmm. all of these things could have potential meaning well i don't know what yeah, I haven't really ruminated on it that for much, some reason. But... My interpretation, and maybe this is the dumbest one, is um, the detective lit a cigarette and maybe the lighter was something that triggered a hypnotist. Maybe the hypnotist planted something in her before and the lighter triggered maybe, it. Um, maybe the detective learned the, the power of mesmerization mm. and now he's okay. sort of using it. Because there is that insinuation at the end that the hypnotist makes saying you let me escape because you wanted to learn. Mm, yeah and obviously so he knows maybe he did yeah, but no. i don't see the i don't see why he would want to learn that's it, interesting i didn't I think about that before you said that but definitely he could have because he's obviously on something of a intellectual level with the mesmerist mm-hmm. that's sort of why the mesmerist respects him yeah and plays along with him and actually talks to him instead of acting like he has amnesia well, that, that's why i like it because you know you have the general straightforward story beginning middle and end but there's so many things in between you can interpret so much to like re contextualize in your mind to theorize about that's why it reminded me so much of burning 
I, I haven't yeah. had a feeling like this since I've seen Burning. I guess I would I would I would agree with this. Although Burning sentiment. Burning, I guess, thrives more on ambiguity as far uh, more so than like straightforward like surreal metaphor. I guess I don't know. But yeah, this it's one of those rare movies where I literally because Chandler had suggested another movie that I was also very eager to see, but it was hard to find and it's notoriously hard to find. So I just went through his letterbox. I'm like, oh, let's see what he's watched recently that I really liked. I saw Cure. I thought, oh, never heard of that. That's on the Criterion channel. Let's yeah. go with it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very that's, interesting. That's how I did it. Huh. Well, because I didn't want to choose something way too out, you know? Yeah. In the, the past, the, I didn't. The Devils, yeah. by the way, is on Shudder, I believe. Is it? Son oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's a little uh, Easter egg. We were going to talk about the Devils. Oh, yeah. Um, uh but American think, movie is also on Shutter. I re- learned recently. You did for some fucking Chandler. reason. <laughs> You're making all these films appear to be more obscure than they are. I know. I was really excited. I paid thirty dollars for a DVD of American movie when I could have just <laughs> used a Shutter account I already have. Nah, I'm I'm sure you're glad you bought that. I'm very I'm very yeah. glad. Don't, don't so worry. the the one the one more scene I'm going to talk about is that when the the suspect he's in the the second the mental facility and it starts raining from the ceiling yeah do you remember that like oh, the yeah. way that that was fr- like there was this weird shot of like under the chin of the detective up towards the ceiling where it's kind of blurry and out of focus and you're not sure what you're looking at first and then the rain starts coming through the ceiling and it's very like weird and just that coupled with the sound design and oh God. the beautiful the visual of it, it not necessarily beautiful. I just say like that's like film visuals coming together to perfectly create this kind of um this atmosphere of, of unease mm-hmm. and of like mm-hmm. terror and like what's gonna happen. Cause at that point I was very like fearful of like, oh, is the hypnotist going to use the dropping the droplets of water as the like a new source of of um hypnotic <laughs> power but the sound design of whenever the lighter goes on also it, it's everything kind of base to it that's just very yeah. it, it's like a, a pebble this... like a rock dropping in a, a pool mm-hmm. it makes mm-hmm. a lot of ripples whenever you hear that that sound it's just beautiful yeah. i mean this in the best way possible this is one of those movies that doesn't shut up and that's why i kind of like it yeah every there's there's like diegetic murmurs coming from every room um but i as far as like really haunting imagery i'm just gonna throw this one out as my as my last observation the scene where um the detective goes into like that abandoned warehouse and he sees like a a vaguely human figure through those like transparent curtains that was that scared so the shit terrifying. out of me <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like it's not like you're seeing an apparition or a silhouette of a person you're you're seeing less than that you're wondering if it's even because it's so vaguely human shaped that you're like okay what am i looking at is this just a convenient like fogging of the curtains is there someone standing way on the other side of the room and then mm. when you open it and see what it actually is i'm just like oh god yeah Th- that's another argument i could see for this being a horror movie well there's no jump yeah. scares which which is amazing it's yeah just that's, a that's testament to the, how uh, scary it is because it's yeah know, that's it, always you, the uh, argument i hear from reviews of people like not who are on the team that don't say that this is horror is mm-hmm. basically because there's no like jump scares or like obvious monster in a way that's not really horror, it's almost but, like mm-hmm. Amer. there's like a separate genre and it's american horror and that's what oh. most people think of horror as the carnival right. ride horror like yeah because horror has this much wider connotation but has kind of mm-hmm. been slimmed down recently to this like the conjuring or the boy five five nights or at Freddy's. and any five of these nights at freddy's yeah like cheap quickly paranormal activity those are like what the horror genre has been distilled down to even mm-hmm. though it's it's actually quite broader than that so i almost oh. feel like american oh, yeah. horror is its own kind of well, yeah, because this is J horror, you know. It it it's, it lands. Well, uh, I think it was made after Ring, so interesting. Or no, well, before. Or no, yeah, before Ring, after Ring. Sorry. So Chandler, uh, have you uh, ever seen The Wailing? Don't think I have. 
It should. Okay. It's it is quick tangent. The Wailing is a 2016 South Korean horror movie that is almost three hours long. It is a Satanist horror. It is zombie horror. It is serial killer horror. It is every type of horror movie you can make in one. Fantastic. And rant. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so a mystery box of horror. It really is. Definitely. So one, does Cure belong on the BFI greatest one of all time <laughs> list? <laughs> I, I'm gonna. This is one of the favorites that I, I we've watched for this podcast. If I'm being completely honest, of awesome. the new stuff, of the new of, stuff that's not on the of, BFI, of the non BFI stuff. It's most yeah, certainly yeah. one of my favorites. That's awesome. And even yeah, of the BFI, like it. it's it's pretty great. Yeah, I'm super glad that we watched it. Channel, it's very hard to find a Jake uh, movie that Jacob will like this much. Wow. Yeah, so you've done a good job. I've done it. Uh, One last scene uh, that I'll talk about. And just to wrap it up, uh, especially if you're a film student or looking to understand film, I think that Kurosawa basically... Basically, he uses like two shots in this film. Maybe three. There's the lateral one take um mm-hmm. and then shot reverse shot and like a few wides i guess mm-hmm. but watch the scene where the detective goes to interview the first murderer like the first victim of the mesmerist who murders his wife as he mm-hmm. moves from the bed to the chair and down against the wall you'll see especially if you watch it quickly you'll notice how he starts in a high place, it breaks down, and he gets lower and farther down right to the scene, of to the frame. I think it really speaks for itself. It's a really good film, a really good uh, scene, if you want it's, to sort of it, understand yeah. that stuff. It's it's very subtly made. Yeah. It's nothing And especially crazy. when it plays out normal speed, you don't really mm. notice it. It's a very understated wonder. Uh, but if mm. you speed it up, you'll see how, how the, the characters move away from the light away from the higher places and down into into very negative feelings mm-hmm. it's very good it is very good highly recommend i'll probably buy it on blu-ray is there oh, a blu-ray totally there is i, is I there looked a criterion it up. blu-ray i looked it up i was not i was less than a third of the way through the movie and i was like oh shit can i buy this <laughs> damn <laughs> yeah it's not on criterion it's on um masters of cinema eureka Ooh, uh, which okay still it's got some bonus features on it doesn't look half bad oh, nice. the release so I'm, I'm curious to see his other movies yeah i, I will i will look up more yeah, of definitely kiyoshi kurosawa's filmography has anyone seen a audition i have not i should uh, this just reminds me like I thought audition was pretty okay but I feel like this movie they're not necessarily super similar but it did remind me a lot of audition if audition wasn't as disappointing as audition was well I'm glad we got the fun one out of the way first yeah <laughs> these these are very much basically a um two sides of the same coin or however that term goes well, yeah they're 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 both deeply unsettling but the one of them is trying a lot harder than the other <laughs> one, one of is. them yeah one of them decides to use more uh radical mm-hmm. methods so, <laughs> yeah one's going one's trying to terrorize you through your eyes the other one's trying to terrorize you through your brain yeah definitely it yes yeah, it's it's, a, it's very weird I, I don't think i've ever had a movie that i've like shifted this fast on because like literally i watched the first hour and a half yesterday i'm like this is pretty good but it wasn't until the last May. I think a huge part of it might have been to do with the headphones. I really want to watch this again. With headphones on. Yeah, definitely do that. Did you in the first part, get to the part where he slips into that bus? No, that was uh, today. Okay. Then that, definitely. that was the thing I wanted to talk about. Cause that bus is just so trippy because it's so hard to tell if they're flying or just in the fog. And I, yeah, I, I don't know if I could talk about that. Cause I'm still really the, the, the interpretation of it is so it can mean anything yeah and, and it's really hard to break apart it's a very yeah it's a very striking simple image and i'm not entirely sure where it fits into the rest of it well that just you know just going back to as uh, the whole you know straightforward story with metaphorical s- stuff it's it's that's like a prime example where we're given some pretty straightforward narrative and then mm. he throws that in there and it just yeah. makes me recontextualize everything else i just saw and it's 
It's yes. I'm back. What are you talking yeah, about? I'm just like spirited away. Uh, we're talking about the bus. The bus scenes. Oh, okay. In cure. Well, yeah. Just just chatting. Well, because they kind of look like they're in the sky. And yeah, the bus scenes. It's supposed to be in the sky. Yeah. yeah. Literally a sky bus. Um, but I love how jarring the uh, cut to it was, because mm-hmm. the first one he grabs the knife, and like the instant his hand is on the handle it cuts to the bus. Mm-hmm. And so already you're like, you're, you're in a heightened state because like, Oh shit, he is going to kill his wife. <laughs> and, and then we're in the bus. So and well, I thought he did really... kill his wife. Cause they're in this kind of surreal state. And I felt yeah. like that was like the after, the after trauma or almost like the heaven state of when the, his wife is killed. Yeah. Um, and, and it's almost scary too. Cause like, yeah. Cause in the end, we don't actually know if she's dead or not. Oh, that was a question yeah. I had because there was this split frame, little little insert at the end of his wife. Yep. Right. Yep. That was his wife with the X in her throat and yep. all that. Yep. What was that all about? Again, it's like <laughs> <laughs> could the could the uh, detective have done that and then like gone on to the to the cafe? Could it just be an apparition of his mind? you know that's yeah i mean the movie seems to be hinting that it's just a, an imagination of his because it right. happened before yeah basically once he sees his wife dead hanging in the kitchen everything after that is very much suspect mm. uh it's, it's so yeah you never really can tell well yeah. it's also well, that- interesting that like he kills the the guy and then something may or may not have happened to his wife. And at the last scene, it doesn't, it seems like life has returned to normal for him. Like he's yeah. not, he's gotten away essentially with killing the, the, um, the mesmer. So yeah. it's interesting. I, I, I'm still puzzling, <laughs> puzzling it out. <laughs> Good old Japanese. I love the Japanese, love Japanese movies. Totally. It's, uh, it's what I hope to go to school for. Japanese movies. Japanese films in specific. Not, not, uh, yeah, not like super specifically, but um, well, actually, in a way, but just sort of film and film history with a focus on Japanese film mm-hmm. and also Japanese culture. Um, more so, I just want to go to school for film, but just also focus, you know, just on Japanese film. Mm. Well, we enjoyed it. Yep. Film school, that is. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I could have used with some more uh, Japanese cinema in school. I did, I never like, got specifically uh, uh, tailored cinema. I I took Scorsese a class, a world cinema class, and that was the only time I think a professor ever really talked in depth about Japanese cinema. So hmm. the rest of it, I I just had to kind of feel out myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, I'm just sending it to you real quick, Chandler. I'm just gonna go ahead and write the whaling. <laughs> if you ever want to add that to your your one movie. I fucking love The Wailing. Chandler, yes. have you seen Burning? Burning? Burning. Lee Chang Dong, 2018. I'll put that there. You have to. It's on that. Netflix. On it's real, it's easy to find. It's still on uh, Netflix? It's still on Netflix. I have the Blu-ray. I'll send it to anyone who needs to watch it. <laughs> yes, send it here. Um, He's a very big fan of Burning. I think I, uh, I'm just going to take a bathroom break. Oh, yeah, sure. And okay. then we'll... Uh, I'll do the same uh, thing. I'll talk about bathroom bakes and sallow, actually. It's something that I thought about. <laughs> so uh, I'll be right back. Hello, everybody. This is your co-host speaking, Jacob. Thought I'd uh, budge in here and let you know that this episode was recorded as one, but we are splitting it up into two parts because we went over two hours talking about Cure and then Salo. And I felt that it was uh, justifying of two episodes. Also, it's a bit easier to digest in just one hour. So uh, tune in next week, next Tuesday, when I will be releasing the episode on Solo. We actually also talk about the our Criterion collections, the Arrow uh, collections, and just our Blu-ray collections in, in general. And then we're also going to talk about uh, our philosophy on taking bathroom breaks in the middle of a movie. So uh, that should be riveting conversation. It's actually pretty interesting, but I think we had a really great conversation on Solo, which was more about uh, philosophizing on movies and and the purpose and the extent at which a, a movie can 
push the boundaries of cinema and, and still have some wider utility beyond just pushing the boundary. Anyway, so thought I, I'd let you all know, and uh, we look forward to uh, releasing that episode next week and hope you turn tune into that one. So uh, everyone, I hope you have a good week and watch plenty of movies. Bye.